Welcome and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Power to Be Show. I am your producer and co-host behind the scenes, Alexis Hunter. I'm here with your host, Dr. Terrell Bird, and I have the pleasure of introducing today's guest, Dr. Antipas Harris. Whether you have met him or not, there are two indisputable truths and admirable qualities that stand out about Dr. Antipas Harris. One, he is a lover of ministry, and two, he is a lover of God's people. He is the founder and president of the Urban Renewal Center in Norfolk, Virginia. It is a center for moral thought, voice, and action. The center engages research, conversations, consulting, and community engagement. It advances principles and, pra- and practices excuse me, of diversity, equity, and inclusion for common good through the fusion of cultural competence and the ongoing process of cultural humility. Before I turn it over to our host, let me encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Facebook, and Instagram as Power To Be Show. Now, here is our host, Dr. Terrell Bird. Thank you, Alexis. I'm Dr. Terrell Bird, and I am so happy that you are joining us today for the Power to Be show. I am delighted because we have a special guest today. We have Dr. Antipas Harris, who is a gifted leader, a servant leader, and one who has contributed uh, so much value to the work of of connecting urban life and urban communities, but also he has been a, a stalwart in the area of education. So I'm I'm just pleased to have him with us for our our podcast show today. So welcome, Dr. Harris, to me to the power to be. Thank you, Dr. Bird. It's a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. One is the relationship that I have with a group called Made to Flourish, which looks at the integration of faith and work. And we talk about how God has poured into your life and in the work that you do. So we want to talk about that. But I also want to hear about your story, about the work you do, where it began, what inspired you. Uh, So just tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Dr. Bird, it's a delight to be here again. I am um, Antipas Harris from a little town called Manchester, Georgia. It's a very rural town. Um, I'm the second son of eight children, or the first son of eight children, okay. second child. Okay. Uh, dad's a pastor um, and educator. My mom is also an educator. Uh, as a young boy, I read about missionaries, uh, people like Rochanka Pudaite, uh, who translated the Bible into multiple tribal languages mm-hmm. in India, uh, Hudson Taylor, mm-hmm. a missionary to China, um, David Brainerd, missionary to uh, Native Americans. And I was deeply moved 
by those stories as, as, a, as a young boy. I think a seed was planted that faith cannot be faith if it's limited to the weekend. Uh-huh. But rather faith becomes an inspiration for, um, for service, uh, for common good. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was on a journey of education seeking to, like everybody, be, you know, make a living. Mm-hmm, right. And while I was studying, um, I had these stories in the back of my mind and ultimately felt that when I became a professor, that teaching wasn't enough, but I needed to spend my life and my time not only teaching, teaching for sure, mm-hmm. but not only teaching, but also getting involved in um, in the work in the community. Yeah. And so I developed this conviction that success is not limited to making a living, mm. but okay. success is about flourishing and flourishing is a holistic um, word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has to do with all of who I am and how I not only seek to make a living, but yeah. contribute to the life of the public square. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And flourishing is a big word yeah. in, <laughs> in the, the context of the work I do. Uh, you actually wrote a book yes. that really deals a lot with that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Book? Yeah. My book, Unstoppable Success, interestingly enough, it was an integrated reflection on my own journey. Uh, and I went to Haiti for several years before the earthquake in 2010. Okay. Uh, and there was a pastor there who was also a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asked me to do a seven night series on the keys of success. So I thought about it, reflected mm-hmm. on my own journey and thought, what would I say? How would I instruct? How would I in- encourage uh, young people uh, on the journey of success? Uh, in my own journey, uh, by the third grade, I could not read. And I had a learning um, challenge Mm -hmm. Um, or some would say disability. I'd say I just learned differently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so my dad took me out of the public school and he started his own Christian school at the church where he was a pastor. Wow. And I essentially had to start all over. So all of my life I've been struggling. Mm. As they say, all my life I had to fight. (laughs) fight. (laughs) I I, I felt like I was behind and always trying to catch up. And and no matter how high I got, I always felt like I was at the bottom of the totem pole. Mm. But, um, but I develop a certain tenacity. Okay. Okay. Um, that, Sometimes struggle will do that too. Yes, it depends yes. on how you, how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. So I started looking at my own journey and saying, what are the keys that got me where I am? And what are the principles that I use to move forward? So I use seven principles that I discovered in my own reflection, mm-hmm. uh, integrated with Christian um, consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I shared those in Haiti and my friend there who's the pastor said, you should, you should write this in a book. And so I thought more deeply about it Mm -hmm. because a talk for 45 minutes is different from writing a book. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, uh, and so that's how the book Unstoppable Success was born. And I realized that my journey was, um, one that was resisting resistance. Mm -hmm. And, um, I graduated with honors from college. Um, but when I started, in third grade in the private school, I could not even read. Wow. And wow. we know now that states determine 20 years out how many prison cells they will need mm-hmm. based on literacy rates in the third grade. Wow. 
So um, I was on a pipeline to prison. Wow. When we yeah. think about pipeline yeah. to prison many, from high school, but it us, really yeah. starts yeah. in the third grade. Yeah, yeah. So those concerns really inter- it sort of entered into my critical reflection, not only about what I write about, but how I think about um, ministry and mm-hmm. the role of faith in the public square. Right, right. right. And if uh, there's a termination, uh, the prison system determines how many prison cells they'll need mm. based on literacy rates, wow. then, then, then education and incarceration have a relationship or the prison system has a relationship with the education system. So my question is, what does the faith community have to do with education system and, and criminal justice system? Yeah. And in what way, where is the faith community? Yeah. Yeah. How, you know, cause I grew up, I mean, I went to preach at the jail in the third, uh, on Sunday nights Mm -hmm. and we did more evangelism and so forth. So I believe in that, but, is I always ask myself, is that all the church has mm-hmm, to offer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and so I come to the conclusion that the church has more to offer than an invitation to faith. Mm-hmm, we have Absolutely. we have we have a reservoir of of faith tenants that can serve the benefit of community mm-hmm. uh, in a way that. I think is underexplored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thus the word flourishing. Yes. That that in the context of being successful, yes, one must be able to have the tools yes. in order to flourish. And yes. it sounds like that's what you were developing yes. once you were steered in the right direction that's right. or had the right environment to do that. That's right. I was I was kind of laughing at the beginning of our conversation outside of the the uh, the podcast saying that you've got more degrees than a thermometer because <laughs> so from someone who was having challenges even reading and now having gone through many schools of higher learning uh, that is a testament a testimony to what God has done and can do in your life. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm yeah. grateful. I'm deeply humbled by it. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I also am intrigued with is this idea of uh, transformational uh, living in the context of urban development and renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really deeply concerned that we are not tapping into the resources that are available in our urban context yes. in order to be productive as a whole for not only the urban society, but society society as a whole. Can you talk about some of the work you've been doing in the yeah, urban context? Um, in the urban context right now, where our focus is on uh, homeless employment and also uh, youth violence prevention programs. Uh, and we see this as an opportunity for us uh, to bridge the community, uh, the church or the faith community broadly, mm-hmm. uh, and the academy. Uh, there is no education is worthy of education if it doesn't bridge practical experience. Uh, in fact, theory is born out of practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the challenges of higher education is that theory becomes the driving force. And many times uh, there is a disconnect between where theory comes from, which mm-hmm. is practice, mm-hmm. and, and theory itself. Yeah. So if we only focus on theory, we disconnect from the ongoing development of theoretical insights 
in the life of practice. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, what we do in the Urban Renewal Center in Norfolk, Virginia, is a way of keeping our intellectual reservoir refreshed by continued engagement in in the practice uh, of uh, community engagement. Okay. And um, so what we do is mobilize the faith community and uh, volunteers in volunteerism. Mm-hmm. We also bridge in the business community. There are many businesses that are interested in and community engagement and service. Mm-hmm. And so many of the employees are volunteering okay. to get involved in what we're doing. Uh, last year, uh, the pandemic was more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And um, in the winter months uh, in Norfolk, the Norfolk Emergency Shelter Team, which is NEST, okay. is essentially um, where a nonprofit goes into the community and partners with the faith community to provide uh, safe spaces for homeless people to live at night. Okay, okay. Because of the pandemic, the faith communities could not accommodate um, the social distancing <laughs> mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that the uh, health department was requiring, but the First Presbyterian Church in Norfolk could. Mm-hmm. Well, Pres- First Presbyterian Church happens to be the, the leading partner of the Urban Renewal Center. So they accommodated from December to uh, January 12th, and they were then passing it off to another church that thought they can handle at least a small amount. Well, the numbers of homeless people um, that winter were skyrocketing. Wow. And the other faith communities could not handle the, the volume. So the Presbyterian Church looked at the Urban Renewal Center and said, well, if you take over mm-hmm. and invite those churches to come to our space, mm-hmm. they can use our space you become the leader, the Urban Renewal Center, and we partner with the different faith communities each week to come in to serve. Wonderful. So it created an opportunity for the Urban Renewal Center to get involved in twenty and basically overnight opportunities for the homeless to sleep. Wow! And um, the city of Norfolk saw police calls went down, um, the morale in the homeless uh, community went up. And we were able to mobilize the faith community in ways to drive down cost mm-hmm. because faith communities were taking on uh, taking on the feeding the programs. Feed, right, right, yeah. We had uh, clothes giveaways and yeah. so forth. So what happened is the the city of Norfolk decided to develop the first low barrier homeless shelter coming out of that experience. And they offered the Urban Renewal Center the contract to run the 24 hour low barrier homeless shelter, wow. which included okay. a day shelter okay. or a day, a day center. Okay. And then overnight um, for up to 80 something people. Wow. Wow. And so we ran it and we, uh, it was a success. And then they moved it from sort of an urban a campsite or urban tent city that they developed outside of an old Greyhound station um, where they had to sleep at night in those tents. But in the day, there was a day center there. It was wow. only temporary for the summer months. And then they purchased the city of Norfolk, purchased uh, a the budget lodge that was nearby. Okay. Uh, and when they purchased it, we transitioned the shelter to the old budget lodge. So, and then we were able to partner with Ikea that provided the beds and, and a lot of, I mean, it was beautiful. Wow. Wow. Where Those now, partnerships oh, are gosh. so important. Yeah. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. by us being nonprofit, mm-hmm. it served the city because okay. Ikea needed to give to a nonprofit, not wow. to the city. 
Wow. Uh, yeah. So we yeah. were running it. They gave it to us. We were able, and also several of the churches were involved. They had game night, game nights, bingo nights, just building the morale among uh. the homeless population. Well, the Urban Renewal Center, we had a, a we sat down and thought, okay, this is successful, um, private public partnership. But what is our mission? Do mm-hmm. we really want to be in the business of ongoing maintenance or operation of mm-hmm. a homeless shelter? And we decided that our mission was upward mobility. We wanted to, in the in the spirit of um, Peter and John, when they went to the to yeah, that, the, the to gate the called gate, yes, yeah, yeah, in in, in Acts three, yeah. they had just experienced the birth of the church in Acts two, right? Yeah, and they saw a man by the gate called beautiful because he couldn't go into the temple to behold right. the beauty, right? Right. Uh, that, but that's something they always wanted to do. So mm-hmm. he expected them to give him a handout. And that's sort of a a maintenance mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. you know, this is who you are. This is what you're always mm-hmm, going to be. Mm-hmm. But when they saw him, they they gazed at him. He gazed at them. And they yeah. said, silver and gold, we yeah. don't have. Yeah, yeah. There's been a shift. Yeah, yeah. Now we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we're going to give you a hand up, that's right. not that's a hand right. out. Rise up. <laughs> so, the, so the Urban Renewal Center said, yeah. we want to be a hand up. So yeah, we secured a grant from a, a private um, foundation okay. uh, to hire a full-time uh, director of homeless employment services. Okay. And so we turned over the operations to the city and we took on employment services to help the homeless become upward mobile. Wow. Well, that was the, something else I was going to ask you about. And that is uh, most of the pastors in the urban community are bivocational pastors. Yes. And that in itself can be a challenge or yes. what we would call co-vocational, then mm-hmm. well, that can also be a term expressed. But uh, it seems like that is providing opportunities for pastors to somehow get engaged in a kind of community development in ways that can also enhance the work they're doing as pastors. Is that Yes, um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, one, uh, we couldn't do what we do without the important role that pastors play. Mm-hmm. One of the things we seek to do is help with community, uh, with congregational formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastors are coming to us saying, we want our congregation to um, be a, a church for the city. Mm-hmm. And part of sort of faith formation is service. Mm-hmm. How can we get them involved? And they're looking to us as a agency um, that believes very strongly in the local church to mobilize their uh, congregants Mm -hmm. to be involved. And so we're busy trying to create a community uh, program, a community link program that mobilizes either the business community and the employees who want to get involved Mm -hmm. or congregationalists who want to get involved. And that serves the pastor's vision because now we can partner with the local church and, um, and of course, most of our team or our leadership at the Urban Renewal Center, we are also ordained pastors. So, okay, yeah, so yeah, although our yeah. day job is not in the church, we connect with the pastors, we understand what the needs and concerns are, and we seek to be a partner okay, in okay. that way. Well, that's awesome. I know the relationship that you have with one of my colleagues, uh, Brian Fraley. Yes. And uh, how did that... Uh, I know that you're working on some projects together, but yeah. talk a little bit about that relationship, that partnership. Well, um, Brian is my was my doctoral advisor uh, when I was at St. Thomas University for my PhD, um, and that's where I earned 
my PhD. And um, so I'm eternally grateful for his leadership yeah. in my academic journey. Uh, and then we're working on reimagining uh, theological education for mm. the future. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by that is how do we take an increased number of, of uh, uh, sort of a, a, a landscape of online education in theological education, how do we in how do we create opportunities for students to be together, learn together, grow together, mm. um, while also affirming the online um, approach to theological education? Okay, so are you looking at maybe like a, a cohort type relationship yeah. online? Or? Yeah, well, what we're looking at is how do we create an opportunity for people who are, who are studying there for their uh, theological education online mm -hmm. to come together either during the summer or for one year of the learning where they can live together and they can get involved in sort of a seminary and formation opportunity. Mm -hmm. So at the Urban Renewal Center, what we're doing is we're partnering with the mainline church, the first Presbyterian church okay. that has an old manse or some, mm -hmm. some churches call it a parsonage, a parsonage yeah. right? Where mm -hmm. pastors are not really living in those. And mm -hmm. so many churches are trying to figure out what do we do with this house? Mm -hmm. Some are doing uh, ministry there, mm -hmm. youth meet there, men ministry meet there, women ministry meet there. But for us, uh, we're saying, okay, we can house up to six students at a time. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. Mm -hmm. So how do they come to get there doing the studies online, they're scattered around the country. It's very similar to the service learning opportunity okay. or say travel seminar when mm -hmm. many uh, colleges take students sure. overseas. Yeah. We're saying let's go to an urban context where mm -hmm. there is a manse mm -hmm. and have these seminarians live there for a uh, you know, summer or mm -hmm. for a year. And they can also get a credential as a clinical pastoral, a CPE credential, okay, right? Because yeah, yeah. we can partner with the local hospital. We can get them involved in in private public partnerships. Mm -hmm. They can serve the homeless. They can lead wow. in pro programs um, that help youth um, alternative to violent mm -hmm. um, and things like that. So we're sure. looking at the arts in that way. And what happens is this sort of service learning opportunity becomes formational mm -hmm. because they're actually doing life together. Yeah. They have time to do a reflection in the evening and they build these relationships. We cannot underestimate the power of relationships yeah, when you're in school. Many yeah. of my partner relationships now are because of relationships I had when yeah. I was in school right, right. and they create opportunities and yeah. job opportunities and mis new ministry opportunities. Right, right. And so what happened long lasting in that long lasting. Yeah, yeah. So beyond the asynchronous learning, Learning, or even sometimes synchronous learning with mm -hmm. um, Zoom and so forth. Mm -hmm. How can we get people together to be together for a short period of time while they're also taking advantage of online education? Right. And they get this credential, which is so important because yeah, yeah. that can turn into a job opportunity down yeah, the road. Yeah, that that's exciting. So I, that's what we're, we're, yeah. that, we're trying to create a, a program that will then inspire other other churches because mm -hmm. this does a lot of things yeah it helps bridge the church with the theological academy more closely mm -hmm. it helps students um, build relationships while also respecting the value of online education uh, it helps um, the community, community yeah. yeah because now we're we're training seminarians in the context 
of community mm-hmm. engagement. That they can go back and strengthen those communities. Yes. Either so, in learning opportunities, service yes. learning. and Yeah. 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 Imagine if you can do supervised, edu- super, supervised ministry, mm-hmm. clinical pastoral education, mm-hmm. building relationships and understanding how to bear witness in the public square mm-hmm. and, and, and also getting to know your colleagues mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. theological education yeah. at the same time. And the beautiful thing is that if you partner, if we partner with more than one school, mm-hmm. we can have students who are in online programs in different schools. Yeah, yeah. So now you've expanded your possibility of yeah. building these relationships. That's, that's awesome. And it, it is just, it's good for everybody. Yeah, that's great. I'm just trying to, I was thinking about John Perkins and some of the work that yes. he was doing and, yeah. and sending students and living in urban context. Yeah, and we're think, a member of a CCDA. By the oh, way. okay, yeah, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so all that kind of thing still has a certain richness to it for engagement. A richness, That's right. for engage. You have yes. to engage. You've got to contextualize. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's missing in the academy. So. Yeah, and so we're not just simply traditional forms of internship um, for theological education. Often turn to students going to local church and they're emptying trash or doing something yeah. just fulfill a semester. Mm-hmm. So this um, revival vitalizes that notion in a way that it can really they can really get involved mm-hmm. and students are really being pressed to think about creative ways to solve um, problems yeah. and be a part of the solution uh, at the same time yeah yeah so uh, the partnerships I think that's good in terms of grants and grant writing are you involved in 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 a lot of that uh oh all the time Um, we're always fundraising always writing grants always trying to help people understand the value add to the community Mm -hmm. um you know and i serve on different committees another rich thing about this is students get the opportunity to shadow some Mm -hmm. of the leadership Mm -hmm. some of the meetings for example this year i'm the vice chair for hampton roads regional chamber Uh, for interfaith relations. And that's a brand new position at the chamber. Maybe the only one in the country that has that position. Um, But the nice thing is I'm involved with the business community. I'm getting to know a lot of the CEOs Mm -hmm. uh, and getting to know a lot of folks in the, you know, I work with the FBI, the ATF, the police department, the sheriff department, you know, involved every, so some of those meetings, I'm the only clergy in the meeting. So it creates this space of opportunity for students to be exposed to conversations that they might not otherwise be exposed to. Wow. So now, how did you go from, because I also know that you were the founding president of Jake's University, T.D. Jake's uh, University. How do you go from there (laughs) to doing what you're doing? Uh, It's interesting. I met Bishop (laughs) Jake's many years ago when I was a professor at Regent University. Uh, he was promoting his book um, um, about offense, Let It Go. Let it go, huh? And um, so I met him at CBN, and I told him about some of the work that I was doing at the university to bridge the academy and the church, and he was really impressed with the programming. And ultimately, he started inviting me to his conferences, and I preached at the Potter's House, mm-hmm. and uh, he became a mentor and a friend. And so at a very critical time in my life, he was there for me. And I went out to spend some time with him at his house. We went to dinner at night and I I just told him, you should start a school. And he said, you think I should? And I said, yeah, you should. He said, I thought about it many times. 
And then he thought about it more and uh-huh. asked me to um, to consider being a part of a um, task force to determine what it would look like. And and when I showed up for the meeting, he told me I was the chair of the committee. <laughs> and so, and, and then after leading the committee for a few months, he decided, let's just do it. And yeah. he asked me to come to, to found Jake's Divinity School. Wow. And I did. We went yeah. from a blank sheet of paper um, to 140 students wow. and right at um, three years. And uh, I ultimately felt that I felt called back to the Urban Renewal Center that I had started prior to going to Dallas. Okay. And um, and I had some situations in my family with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought I can probably make it all work, but it mm-hmm. didn't quite work that way. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up leaving Jake's Divinity School to go back to the Urban Renewal Center to build it out. But what a journey. What yeah. a man. Well, what, yeah. a, what a ministry. And I guess, what I mean, it's still a strong... Uh, oh, yes. Jake's because, Divinity School uh, is is going well. Good, because one of our colleagues, Wanjuru, yes. uh, has also been she speaking lectured. there. Lectured yep, there. I had her yeah. come there and lecture yeah. for our, our summer... Sem- our, our, a fall symposium. Yeah, yeah. And she's a fantastic guy. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wanted to have this opportunity to be able to speak to you, to hear your story. Yes. And to talk a little bit about the work that you're doing. Do you mind if I have a word of prayer with Don't you? Don't mind at all. all Appreciate right. it. Let's pray. Eternal God, we are so grateful for servant leaders, for those who have committed not only their time, their talent, their treasure to the work of your kingdom here on earth. I thank you for for Dr. Harris. I thank you for what you have done in his life. And I thank you for uh, the work he's doing in the lives of others. Bless him, continue to expand uh, his borders in in Norfolk and the work that you're doing in the the urban area there. Continue to to shine upon him that uh, the works he is doing will not only bring bring blessing to others, but that he himself would be spiritually refreshed (laughs) through the work. And we just thank you, O God, for this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, we do give thanks. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank, thank you for you. being with us. It's a delight. Thank you, Dr. Burke. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this time. I am uh, extremely blessed to have this fine brother who has told us and shared with us some little nip tidbits about how to flourish. And I think that we are doing that in this show. So thank you. And we will see you next week. We would like to thank this episode's sponsor, Living Word Christian Community, located at 2390 South Military Trail, West Palm Beach, Florida, 33415, where Dr. Terrell Bird is the lead pastor. The worship service begins at 1030 a.m. in person, on Facebook, and Instagram Live.